In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That phrase right there is called an invocation. It's when we call upon the name of God, seeking His aid and His presence. Our services begin this way, with an invocation, which is usually accompanied by the sign of the cross. And we make the sign of the cross to indicate that that we ourselves have been marked by this name in holy baptism, that these bodies of ours have been marked by this name in holy baptism, and that we may freely enter into God's presence and receive all that He has for us in Christ without fear. And so we call upon that name regularly and continually as we are taught the proper use of God's name in the second commandment. What does the second commandment teach? That we are not to misuse God's name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. This is the reason that God has revealed His name to us, that we may use His name for its intended purpose as He works redemption for His people through His continual presence with them. So today is the festival of the Holy Trinity, or more simply, Trinity Sunday. And it's this one day in the church year that is not dedicated to the life and the events of Jesus or the people that are connected to the life of Uh, in the ministry of Jesus. It's the one Sunday a year that is connected to a doctrine, that is dedicated to a doctrine. And so for for some, uh, I find this fascinating that for some hardcore liturgiologists and hardcore, um, you know, church purists and worship purists, they actually don't really like this day because they see it as a disruption to the events in the calendar of the church. And I kind of, I get it, but I think it's a wonderful disruption. It's a wonderful thing to have this opportunity to confess what we believe about God, to to reground ourselves in what the church has always believed, taught, and confessed with respect to who God has revealed himself to be. One divine being who is eternally expressed in three distinct and yet co-equal persons. The word Trinity is simply shorthand for this teaching of everything I just said. The word Trinity is shorthand for what we confess in the creeds, most clearly in the Athanasian as we have about halfway through it this morning. And as with any teaching or any doctrine of the church, we must have clear passages of Scripture that support this teaching. We have to have clear passages of Scripture that teach this. And this is called seats of doctrine. Seats of doctrine. So today's gospel lesson in Matthew 28 is the primary seat of doctrine for the Trinity as Jesus reveals the divine name to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. So, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, I'd like to look at this passage today with new eyes. And what I mean by new eyes is really old eyes. No doubt if you've spent any amount of time in the church, you've heard this passage before. You've probably heard it preached on multiple occasions. Within the past 50 years or so, this passage has mainly been used as a church growth passage or as a passage that talks about missions. And while that's not necessarily wrong, per se, there's nothing wrong with that. The truth is, is that's really only been 
a recent emphasis when it comes to this passage. Whenever the church has looked at this passage in centuries past, they have not primarily seen church growth. They have not primarily seen evangelism. They have primarily seen doctrine. Doctrine is what they see first and foremost. They have this text that is a rich expression of who God is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They see that this is Jesus revealing his divine name to his disciples and and that their work in the world was to be bound up with this pure confession of that divine name. The power of God unto salvation is bound up with this name because this name is a self-disclosure of the God of salvation. So why do I say all that? Why do I bring all that up? Because I think that we are too quick to look at something like the Great Commission and what we do naturally is that we jump immediately into what we're supposed to be doing as if the mission of God is completely dependent upon us and, about, and it's all about our efforts. Right? That's our tendency. But the work of the church is Jesus' work in the world. He has, a prom- he has a promise for us. He has promised to accompany his church and compel the mission forward even to the end of the age. That's his promise. That's his guarantee. Who gets the focus of that statement? Is it the church? Is that what's being emphasized? No. The focus is Christ. His work in and through the church. It's a promise that is anchored in Jesus. See, he's given the church the divine name in which she is to administer the means of grace. He has given us the divine name so that we may call upon it in every trouble and in every triumph. And it's his presence in and with the church that raises sinners to spiritual life. That's what does it. Not you, not me, not, it's not about how welcoming our church is. It's not about how involved we are in the community. That's all well and good. I want us to be a welcoming church. I want us to be involved in the community. But that is not what raises sinners to spiritual life. It is nothing less than the presence of Jesus. If there is no presence of Jesus, if, if there is no divine name that we invoke, that we call upon, then forget it. We're not on mission. We can't even talk about a mission. And what is the mission in Matthew 28? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all that Christ has commanded. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is Lord and Christ. All authority was given to him. So so the church's orders were to to spread his reign and rule to the ends of the earth through baptizing and teaching. Easy peasy, right? Not in the slightest. Not a chance. And that's why we must anchor ourselves not in the mission itself, but in who Christ is and who he reveals God to be. There are too many circumstances in our world right now that, that uh, give us cause for doubt. Doubt as to whether Christ is at work in our church. Doubt as to whether the church will even survive. 
Have you ever been struck with that temptation? You know in the back of your mind Jesus' promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church, but you just look at the state of affairs in American Christianity and you think, what is happening here? The hits keep coming. When will the bleeding stop? When congregations do not grow numerically or even whenever they decline, we naturally assume that they are doing something wrong as if God is dependent upon, you know, modern corporate business models and metrics and things like that. We, we doubt as to whether we are equipped to survive the changing cultural tide and whether whether We doubt whether the fire of true faith will continue to burn. There was this time in the Old Testament when God revealed His name so that people could call upon it. He called out to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The time had come for Him to set His people free from the bondage to the Egyptians. And when God spoke to Moses, you know what He first called Himself? He said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It was this threefold revelation that he was indeed the God who had kept his people all this time. He told Moses his plans to bring his people out of Egypt, and he was going to use Moses to do it. Now, during their conversation, Moses expressed doubts, didn't he? Major doubts. Who was he to take on this task, this mission that God had given to him? Who, who was he supposed to say, first of all, that was sending him? Who is this God? What about Moses' inability to speak all that well? He's not very eloquent. He can't talk all that well, particularly in public. But for every doubt, God had an answer. Who was he to do this mission? Doesn't matter. God would be with him. That was our memory verse in VBS this week, wasn't it? But I will be with you. Exodus 3 verse 12. You guys remember that? Good. Yeah, we had a great rock and roll song to play to. It was great. God would be with him for the mission. Well, who, who is Moses supposed to say sent him? God had a name that he would reveal to Moses. I am Yahweh, the Lord. Well, Moses can't talk all that good. Don't worry about that. God would give him what he was supposed to say. You see, Moses was, all he thought about in that moment was the mission such that it gave him these great doubts. It's not wrong to focus on the mission, but if you do it in such a way that it causes you to doubt, then you, you've got your priorities out of whack here. Moses wasn't up to the challenge. He knew his limitations. But that was no problem for God, was it? God knew his limitations. God knew who he was. He gave him this name, I am. This name to call upon, to, to invoke that he may receive the salvation that God had promised to work through him. It was a name 
that was suitable to the task at hand. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was sufficient for the patriarchs, but God was now working something new. And for that, he provided a name. He provided his own self-disclosure for a specific purpose. Yahweh, I am, that's how Moses was going to know him. And that's how all the people, all God's people from that time on, uh, from Exodus all the way throughout their pilgrimage and into the promised land, this is how they would know God. I am, Yahweh. Now back to our gospel lesson. Jesus was standing on the mountain somewhere around Galilee. Some worshipped him, but what were others doing? They doubted. They doubted. Now there's a lot of speculation. I read far too much on this subject this week, but there's a lot of speculation as to what the disciples were actually doubting. Some say that they were doubting that it was really Jesus that was standing there before them. Others are going to say that, well, they had a lot of doubts still about Jesus' claims about himself. I think there might be a little bit of merit to that former and not so much to the latter. Uh, And I'm unconvinced by either of those, and here's why. They, They had already seen the risen Lord multiple times by this point. They had already eaten with him. They had already touched his resurrected body. I'm not so sure that their doubts were directed towards him, per se, but rather were directed towards themselves. Why? They understood that he was about to leave. That's what we've been talking about the past several weeks. Jesus is leaving. Why? He's ascending. We went through the whole upper room discourse, right? They understood that he was about to leave. They doubted that they were up to the challenge of living in this world without the local presence of Jesus. They doubted their own abilities to fulfill what Jesus was calling them to. How are they supposed to get along in this world whenever Jesus is ascending to the Father? So it makes much more sense whenever you think about it that way that Jesus would speak in the way that he did. The Great Commission was spoken to men who knew their inadequacies and their sins. They knew the circumstances that they were facing. They could not do it on their own strength. And so Jesus had to tell them that the mission is not really about them at all. Never was. He invited them to look up and away from themselves and into his face. He called them to hear their mission in the context of a revealed name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, just as Moses asked for God's name in that particular place and time that he may call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks, now Jesus was providing another layer of God's self-disclosure. This was the name given for the task at hand the name under which the nations would be discipled, the name to which God attaches salvation. So Jesus has given his disciples and his church a name to invoke, the name that is so closely linked with baptism 
with salvation. But what about the words? Remember Moses asked what he was supposed to say? And God essentially told him, don't worry about that. I'll give you the words. Now here Jesus gives his church the words which we are to speak. His own words. Everything that he has taught. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded you. How are we supposed to know what we're supposed to be teaching, Lord? I've given you the words. Teach them all that I've commanded you. All of it. The words in the Old and New Testament as they come to us through the prophets and the apostles. And we have creeds and confessions that help us to understand the words of Scripture and it helps us to confess them purely. We've got the words. Oh, and in case the disciples were wondering if they would be left all alone, what was God's promise to Moses? I will be with you. He promised Moses, I will be with you. Exodus 3 verse 12, right? What is Jesus' promise? I will be with you. Always, even to the end of the age, Jesus makes the same promise that God makes in the Old Testament. See, Moses' mission, that was never supposed to be grounded in his own character, his abilities, his talents, but it was always grounded in the revelation of the true God. The church's mission is not grounded in our abilities. It's not grounded in our efforts or our talents or uh, the way that we might look impressive to the world. It's grounded in Jesus' revelation of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That name that has been placed upon you on holy baptism, the name upon which the whole church has called upon from the Old Testament all the way into the New. And this is what we see going on in the book of Acts, right? You heard Acts chapter 2, whenever Peter stands up and preaches. And at the end of his sermon, he's going to talk about repent and be baptized. He's going to tell the people that this is the name into which you are brought in, into the faith. It's in the name of the triune God. What do we see in Acts chapter 22? Uh, whenever Paul, uh, Saul at the time, he's blinded, right? And then Ananias says, uh, uh, he gets his sight back and then Ananias tells him, what are you waiting for? Rise up. Be baptized, washing away your sins, calling upon his name. The, the triune name. It's the church's mission. So today's invitation for you is to understand the church's mission, not by focusing so much on the mission itself and by what you are supposed to be doing whenever you leave here, but upon the revelation of the triune God, the God who has saved you, and redeemed you is the one who Jesus reveals. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the Father who created you has sent His Son to redeem you, who has then sent His Holy Spirit to call you by the gospel and to sanctify you in the Christian church, the new Israel. We might look at the church today and think, she's not much. And that's fine. But the mission isn't dependent upon her. 
Never was. It's dependent upon the ongoing presence of Jesus and his promises. He's in charge. He's running the show. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he has given you a name to call upon. He has given you the name that he has received in his exaltation at the right hand of God, the name that is above every name. And as we go about the business of making disciples, we know that Jesus is with us. And if he's with us, then we cannot fail. Because there's salvation in no other name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.